Tonight we're going to be looking at some more Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Last week we looked at several that uh, related to his birth, where he was going to be born at, and just different things. Tonight we're going to be looking at some, and I've limited it to ten. Uh, there are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, and we could just list as many, but I tried to pick ten that are relevant. And tonight we're going to be looking about... Uh, the ministry of the Messiah and how the Old Testament prophesied certain things about what Jesus was going to do uh, when he came here on earth. And if you have your Bibles, we're actually going to start in Genesis chapter 3. I've made reference to this before. And in fact, uh, when you look at the, song, the first song we just sang, there is a reference to this prophecy in that song. And I'm going to read it to you because it's just interesting the way that works sometimes. But when we were singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the fourth verse says, Come desire of nations, come fixing us thy humble home. And this is the part that's actually the prophecy we're looking at tonight in Genesis 3. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruising us the serpent's head. Uh, so if you have your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, I can remember singing that song when I was a kid, and I had no clue what in the world Charles Wesley was talking about when he wrote that. And it's a Christmas song. He's talking about serpents and stuff like that. It didn't make any sense to me. But in Genesis chapter 3, this is after God has come down to the garden. He's, Adam and Eve have sinned and they're hiding. I mean, he didn't discover it. He already knew it. But he's having these conversations with Adam and Eve and the serpent. And verse 14, Adam has already tried to pass the buck off and said, well, it was the woman's fault. And actually, if you look at what he did, he actually said, it's the woman you put here. He's actually almost blaming God for the problem. Eve blames the serpent. And then so God turns to the serpent in verse 14 and says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And here's the prophecy. The very first prophecy about the Messiah is right here in Genesis. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will crush his heel. Like we did last week, we're going to look at the Old Testament prophecy. Then we're going to flip over and look at the New Testament fulfillment. So if you want to hold your place over in 1 John chapter 3, which we just went through not too terribly long ago. But in 1 John chapter 3... Verse 8, this is John writing, and he says, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. So what John is acknowledging here in this letter is what God told the serpent way back in the Garden of Eden. He said, there's going to be one that comes from this woman. And you think you're going to hurt him. You think you're going to strike this blow, but in doing so, he's going to crush your head and completely defeat you. And that's a prophecy concerning what happened at the cross. I don't know if the devil actually thought he had won when Jesus died, but the moment that Jesus said, it is finished, that prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 was fulfilled. Satan had been ultimately defeated. Now we're still fighting the battles, but the war is over. This prophecy made to Adam and Eve in the garden was fulfilled on the cross, and John in his letter confirmed it. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So that's the first one we're looking at. Next, if you flip over to Exodus chapter 12, this one may sound a little strange because it's not 
written like it's prophecy. It's actually written telling how the Passover lamb was supposed to be prepared. This is God speaking to Moses as they're getting ready for the Passover. And in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, it says, You must have an unblemished animal. A six-year-old male, you may take from it either the sheep or the goats. And then it goes on to has all these elaborate preparations. But the first thing is the important part. It must be unblemished, no spots, no broken bones. The, the Passover animal that was offered had to be perfect. There could be nothing wrong with it. It had to be the best of the flock. And you may be going, well, that's not really a prophecy. But when you understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover, and that was pointing to him, the qualifications for the Passover lamb had to be met by the one who was the ultimate sacrifice. And the writer of Hebrews, if you want to flip over to Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews is a fascinating book. If you've never, never taken the time just to read through Hebrews, there is a lot of stuff going on. A lot of the Old Testament fulfillment that Jesus did when he was here, you hear the writer of Hebrews talking about this. But in Hebrews chapter 9, Beginning in verse 13, it's, talking about, it's comparing the ministry of Christ to the ministry in the tabernacle in the temple. It says, If the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself, what? Without blemish, unblemished, to God to cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we can serve the living God. It's amazing. Not a single sacrifice in the Old Testament forgave a sin. Not one. All of those animals that were sacrificed over and over every year. And actually, when you go back and read, there were actually animal sacrifices every single day of the week. So for generations, they sacrificed, who knows, some Jewish scholars have speculated the number is in the millions. And yet not one sin was forgiven by any of those sacrifices. I also were feeding the temple. Oh yeah. Feeding the priests and the yep. workers. When Jesus went to the cross. It's, it's important because when John the Baptist first sees Jesus, you remember what he says? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was the final perfect sacrifice and it started there at the Passover to remind the people and actually what God was doing, although it took generations, He was preparing them for what it was going to ultimately take to forgive them of their sins, and that was Jesus. Just like the Passover lamb and every other sacrifice had to be perfect and unblemished, Jesus was the ultimate, without fault, without sin. The next one we're going to look at is in Psalm number 8. When you really think about what Jesus did, is absolutely amazing. Because he was God in the flesh. He took away the sins of everybody. Exactly. And that's actually what the writer of Hebrews said. He says, everybody that was faithful under the old covenant, when Jesus went to the cross and fulfilled it, they were declared righteous as well. So he don't not only died for the people living in his day and for us, he died for those going all the way back to Adam and Eve. And he was the only one that could do it. But we know Jesus, Scripture says, Jesus left the glory of heaven where he, he was in glory. He was in his rightful place. And then he left, it says, he humbled himself and came here to earth. A lot of the Psalms have prophetic moments in them. 
And in Psalm 8, verse 5 and 6, this is King David writing. And King David is prophesying whether or not he understood what he was saying, we don't know. But we understand that God was speaking through King David about something that was going to happen later on. Look at verse 3 in Psalm 8. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. That should be important. That is the title Jesus used for himself more than any other, was son of man. Now we don't know if David was conscious of what he was doing here, but he's prophesying about the future son of man that was going to come. And this son of man that is yet to be born, that's going to be of David's descent, Notice what it says. It says, You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. Jesus was still God in the flesh on earth. But we we see Paul talking about it. He humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. But Jesus, being God, in the glory of heaven, was willing to empty himself and to come down here. And once again, the writer of Hebrews, if you want to hold, hold Hebrews for the next couple of them, the writer of Hebrews has a lot to say about the Messiah connecting him back to Old Testament prophecy. But in chapter 2 of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in the beginning is making the point that Christ is superior to all other things. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the old covenant. He's superior to everything. And in verse 5 in chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews says, He, for has he not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about? But somewhere, somewhere has testified. And he's actually going to quote the Psalms. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time and crowned him with glory and honor, and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he may taste death for everyone. And then he was crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Jesus humbled himself so that his name would be declared the name above all names. And he understood that. And the great thing is that he was willing to do that. He did not have to do it. But he was willing to subject himself and to humble himself. Flipping back to Psalm, Psalm 40. And then we're going to jump right back to Hebrews. So hold Hebrews there. Psalm 40 is one of the great messianic psalms. And we're actually going to look at a couple of passages out of this one. But in Psalm 40, and once again, this is King David writing. Verse 6. You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, see, I have come. In the scroll it is written about me. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. Once again, David is prophetically speaking. Part of this psalm is David's personal thanksgiving to God. The psalm begins by, I waited patiently for the Lord. He he inclined to me and heard my cry. But once again, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is pointing to something that's going to take place through the Messiah. Verse 7. 
In this particular passage, it says he's going to be the perfect sacrifice. So flip back over to Hebrews chapter 10. And this will be the last one in Hebrews. Like I said, if you've never read through Hebrews, take the time sometime and read through it. It's fasc- There's some confusing stuff in Hebrews, but it's absolutely fascinating the way the author ties back the Old Testament. And we see that Jesus is actually the one the entire Old Testament is pointing to. But back in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 5, Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, and this is referring to the Messiah, he's talking about the incarnation. As Christ was humbling himself, leaving his glory in heaven, as he was coming into our world to become one of us, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. After he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. There's no way David could have understood and known what he was talking about, although David understood the sacrifices. David is the one that actually wanted to build the temple for God, and God would not allow it. So David was very familiar with sacrifices and offerings and all the things the law required, but he pointed to a time when all that would be taken away because of this Messiah that was going to come. One more from Psalm 40. And it's right there, it's it's the verse picking up right from the one we just left. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed, as you know, Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Now, part of that is David speaking on his own own behalf. He's like, Lord, you know, I talk about how great and wonderful you are in the presence of all the people. David wrote some of the greatest psalms of worship. He's like, I proclaim your goodness and your glory to all the people. But there is a messianic tent to this as well. Flip over to Matthew chapter 4. One of the reasons Jesus came, and we have to remember, and especially in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's entire reason for writing his gospel was to show that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah that had been promised all along. That is his reason for writing, is to prove without a shadow of a doubt to the Jewish people that Jesus is the one that all the prophets had spoke of. And one of the prophets, as we look at Psalm 40, was that he would proclaim righteousness to Israel. He would come and proclaim the truth to God's people. And Matthew writing in Matthew chapter 4... This is right after the temptation. This is right as Jesus begins His ministry. Verse 17, following the temptation, following His defeat of Satan in the wilderness, it says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Something as simple as the fact that Jesus was sent to the Jewish people to proclaim righteousness was a fulfillment of prophecy. And you see King David pointing to that day when 
Not only did David proclaim God's righteousness to the people in his time, he's like, there's one coming. And remember, the Messiah was going to be a descendant of David and sit on David's throne, and his purpose was to come first and proclaim that he was the Messiah to his chosen people. You remember when Jesus started sending the disciples out, he said, go to the Jews first. Don't go to the Gentiles, go to the Jews. I have been sent to the Jews first. And then when they rejected him, which was also prophesied, then he says, now go and proclaim the gospel to everyone. Well, that was his primary purpose, was to teach only Jews. In fact, you see instances where Gentiles came to Jesus and, and he actually made comments like, I, I haven't found faith. When he was talking about the Roman centurion, he's like, I haven't found faith like this in all of Israel. You remember that when the woman came to him whose child was sick, he's like, you don't give food to the dogs. But then she continued and he said, this woman has great faith. So even though his primary message and purpose was to come to the Jews, he never turned away Gentiles. Uh, in fact, as you go back and look through the Old Testament, one of the prophecies was that he was going to be the Messiah for all people. But because of what happens with the prophecies, and we're getting ready to get to one of them, he had to be rejected by the Jews first, and then he would go to the Gentiles, and that's exactly what happens. Uh, and it starts with, we'll start with this one right here. You may not think that Jesus' teaching in parables was that big of a deal. You see him doing it all the time, but that was actually prophesied as well. Uh, so we're still in Psalm. Look at Psalm 78. And this is actually building up to, to why he moved from just preaching to Jews to the Gentiles, because this is going to fall in, in along lines with this prophecy as well. Psalm 78. And this is a long psalm. Let me turn back one more page. And the, the entire purpose behind this psalm, this is not one of King David's. Uh, it's a guy named Asaph wrote it. Uh, and he's showing how God has been working throughout Israel's history. And they, they've not always done everything they were supposed to. But look at verse 70, chapter 78, verse 1 and 2. My people hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things that we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. Jesus, when he spoke in parables, and we're going to go look at, uh, turn to Matthew 13. Now, we are fortunate that we are on this side of the cross. We have had a complete Bible for all of our existence. But remember, as Jesus was preaching and teaching, the only scriptures were the Old Testament. And oftentimes, Jesus would say things that would confuse people. He would teach parables, these stories. I was taught when I was a kid, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And most of the people didn't get it. In fact, there are several times where he would call his disciples to the side and he would have to explain to them what the parable was about. And oftentimes they didn't understand it either. And I often wondered why did he choose that particular mode of teaching when so many people didn't grasp it. And even some of the parables today, there are still some of them today when we read them, the parable of the shrewd manager, there are some confusing things Jesus said. But in Matthew chapter 13... Verse 34 and 35. This is after a, a whole bunch of parables Jesus has been teaching. 
And oftentimes the parables cause more confusion than they did clarity. But Matthew tells us in verse 34 of chapter 13, Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables and did not tell them anything without a parable so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept in secret from the foundation of the world. That's a slightly different translation of that passage we just read in Psalm 78. He's quoting Psalm 78. He's actually quoting from the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That's why the wording is slightly different. But Matthew points back to this psalm saying, the prophet said this was what was going to happen. He was going to come and teach things that confused people and people did not understand. And Jesus fulfilled that. And to add on to that, one of the prophecies that was Jesus was going to preach to people who just refused to listen to him. And probably the most classic prophecy about that is found in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is a fascinating chapter. Actually, the book of Isaiah itself is fascinating. A lot of famous scholars, a lot of famous preachers, guys like John Calvin called Isaiah the gospel of the Old Testament because there's so much in this book about Jesus. And in Isaiah chapter 6, you see Isaiah getting his call and confirmation. Fascinating passage. But at the end of this conversation with Isaiah and the Lord, after God had cleansed his mouth with the coals, the Lord says in verse 8, I heard the Lord asking, Who should I send? Who will go for us? So I said, Here I am, send me. And then the prophecy occurs right here. As I mentioned last week, oftentimes prophecy had a, a, a relatively close fulfillment. And this is true in Isaiah's ministry. If you go and look, what God says to him fulfills Isaiah's ministry. But it also is pointing to the Messiah when he comes. The same thing is going to happen. Verse 9, he says, He replied, Go, say to these people, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. And once again, back in Matthew chapter 13, keeping in mind Matthew's entire point of writing is to prove that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So he is obviously going to fall back on a lot of these prophecies because the Jewish people would have known them. It would have been familiar to him. But in Matthew 13, it's the exact same passage we just read. Read it again. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables and He did not tell them anything without a parable so that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Oftentimes you see Jesus gathering these large crowds and when he begins to teach, he says things that they didn't like and they didn't appreciate. One of the biggest examples, we were talking about the book, Not a Fan. And it's the premise for that book. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 plus all the women and children. So 15, 20,000 people, he's fed them. And people come back the next day looking for it. And they're excited. And Jesus says, you don't really want to know the truth. You just want to be fed. And he says, well, give us more bread. He's like, I'm the bread from heaven. Well, what does that mean? He's like, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
And it says everybody abandoned him. Some of those that had been following his whole ministry left him. They did not want to hear. The Jewish leaders and teachers of the day did not want to hear what Jesus had to say. And that itself was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And it was so that Jesus would fulfill his purpose as coming to the Jews and them rejecting him because that was prophesied and then him opening the message up to Gentiles as well. I'm going to try to do a couple more here before we run out of time. Something as simple, go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Something as simple as where Jesus lived. We've already seen that the prophets prophesied he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be from a certain town, that his name would be Emmanuel. Simple things about his life, about him. But prophecy even said where he was going to begin his ministry at. And in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, and this is actually a section about the Prince of Peace being born. And we understand that that is a title that Jesus claims for himself. He's a Prince of Peace. Verse 1, Isaiah says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. He's talking about before the fall of the kingdom. But in the future, he will, honor, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. And back to Matthew one more time. So many things that we think are just happenstance. Well, why did Jesus, why was he born here? Because God said that's where he would be born. Why did he grow up in this certain town? Because God said that's where he would be born. Why did he start teaching where he taught at? Did he just wake up one day and say, we're going to go here? No, he, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew 4. This is right after Jesus has been tempted, right as he's beginning his ministry. He's found out John the Baptist has been arrested. It says, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth, and Scripture said he would grow up in Nazareth. And he went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, those two places mentioned in Isaiah's gospel and his passage there. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Something as simple as where Jesus began to teach and preach was prophesied hundreds of years before he was born. The last two we're going to get to. He would draw Gentiles to himself. Once again, these last two are from Isaiah. So we'll just stay in Isaiah here. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 10, On that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. There are actually a couple of things here. The first one is that he was going to be a descendant of Jesse. We talked about that last week. But, but whenever you see, yeah, Jesse was David's father. Whenever you see, especially in the Old Testament, or Jesus talking about the nations, those are Gentiles. So the prophet Isaiah said, even though he's a descendant of King David, he's from the root of Jesse. 
And He's going to be a banner not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. All nations will look to Him for guidance. And in John 12, and we're finishing up here, John 12, John 12, beginning in verse 18. Actually, I have done this again this week. That is not the right passage. It should be verse 37, not 18. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, this is still John 12, but it's 37, not 18. He had performed so many signs in their presence, the Jewish people, his own people, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then he actually is going to quote that same passage from Isaiah 6. He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Jesus had to be rejected by his own people, but in doing so, it opened up the door for us. When Jesus was talking about being the good shepherd, he was sent to his sheep. The sheep heard his voice and knew his voice. You remember what Jesus said? He's like, but I have other sheep, another flock. It was always part of the plan to include us. And then the last one, Isaiah 53. This is just confirmation that Jesus was going to be rejected. Isaiah 53, probably one of the most famous messianic parts in Scripture. Got a vivid description of what was going to happen at the crucifixion. But Isaiah 53, 1, it says, Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. There are numerous passages in the Old Testament that confirm that. Jesus came and we rejected Him. The Jews rejected Him. The Romans rejected Him. Everyone rejected Him. And because of that, He went to the cross and died for us. This is just 10 that I pulled. I actually had a list of about 25. And you see it's taken us 30 minutes just to get through 10. Jesus coming to earth and being born... To go to the cross fulfills so much of what God's plan was. I mentioned before, back in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, before God created everything, He knew that this is what was going to happen. He knew that this was what was going to take. Uh, next week, we're going to look at prophecies specifically concerning His death and resurrection. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 53 a lot. So that's what we'll look at next week. And then the last one, we're going to actually look at prophecies concerning the church and how we relate to Jesus. And that was even prophesied in the Old Testament.